Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor here. Happy Fourth of July weekend. We're so glad you decided to join us, and we're in the middle of a series called Running on Empty, and we're looking at how do we find rest in a restless world. And uh, there's a presumption in this title, and the presumption is, is that our world is restless, and we can feel restless, and we can feel empty. And I believe that that's actually true of the experiences that we have. Uh, we can tend to just run and be filled with busyness and distraction and noise, and it's very hard to actually find space uh, to think and to focus on the better things. I believe it's also true of what we see in our culture, this pull to continue to do more and more and more and to add on and to add on and to add on. And so this series is about how do we, as followers of Christ, for those of you who've decided to follow him, how does following him make a difference in the choices that you make? And how does following him make the difference in the kind of life that you live based on those choices? And so this series is about time. It's about choosing to say yes to things. And by saying yes to certain things, we say no to other things. For every yes that you make is a no to something else. For every no that you make is a yes to something else. That's true of life. And so as a Christ follower, we have a responsibility to say, how do we live the life as God's intended, specific his way on his terms, really for, for his purposes? And so that's what this series is all about. But before we jump in, I wanna just welcome you, and especially if, if you're a first-time guest, if this is your first time here, uh, we're so glad that you've decided uh, to gather with us today. There's a few things that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, you should have received a program. Somebody hold a program up just so everybody knows they've, they've got that. If you don't have one of those, let us know. Uh, there'll be somebody in the back that can get you one. And uh, in there is some things that will help you connect with us, engage with us this morning. Uh, the first is the connection card. Uh, please fill this out. We talk about this every week. And you run the danger of sometimes if you talk about things every week, it loses its meaning. But this is the type of thing that actually is helpful, whether you've been here before many times or this is your first time. This is a way that we, as a church staff, uh, we can help you. Uh, it's a way that you communicate. You let us know how we can pray for you, uh, next steps that you want to take. And so you can fill this out physically. That's probably the easiest way to do that. Uh, if you're a part of Ridgeview, uh, a great way is to download the Church Center app and connect with us there. And uh, you can scan that QR code, and that way you can get all of the events uh, to your device. I'll talk about devices a little bit later, uh, but you can sign up for events and that will also help you really engage with us as a church. And so wherever, wherever you are, we want, we want to be able to help you this morning. Uh, if you are a guest, we have a free gift for you, uh, a coffee mug that we'd like to give, no strings attached. That's just our way of saying thank you for being at Ridgeview, for taking the time on this holiday weekend to spend with us. And so uh, if we've not met you, we'd, the staff is by the next step table. This is where you can find resources, you can meet the staff. We'll be back there after the service, so come uh, say hello. I wanted to give an update uh, to all of you as well. And uh, for those of you who've been around for a while, we've been praying for a church office, and I'm very happy to report that we have found one as a church. And so uh, thank you, Lord. Um, we've been praying for actually around three and a half years uh, for us to, one, uh, have the, the resources and uh, the finances to be able to afford a place, a base of operations, and two, uh, a place in the right direction. So here's a picture of our first very, our first ever, I should say, a staff meeting that we had yesterday. And uh, we, for the last few years, have been just gathering, wandering like the Israelites in different Paneras and coffee shops throughout the Inland Empire. And uh, what this does is this represents a new opportunity for us as a church. We now have a base of operations, a place where we're gathering uh, to really plan and meet and gather as a church uh, to help us move our mission forward. Uh, this is a big step for us financially. Uh, for the last few years, we've actually remained a very cost-effective. Without a facility, we've not had those costs. We've operationally remained very low expenses with a high flexibility. Uh, but there's also a cost to that. And uh, my sense as the lead pastor of the church is we're at a point now where it's actually costing us, not financially, but it's costing us missionally for us to no longer have a space for where we work together. And so we've taken this step. Uh, this is a picture of us yesterday, and then Cameron was able to have band practice there uh, yesterday as well. We didn't plan this, but we took selfies, you know, right, right there. And 
This is just our way of, of celebrating and using the space. We got a lot of use just even yesterday. And uh, it's off of Cherry Avenue here in the city of Fontana. Uh, please uh, come say hi to us. You'll see in the insert our, our new address. And uh, a church isn't the building, as you may have heard before. A church isn't an office space. A church is the people. But space helps in order for the people to gather together. And we're grateful for this space at Jesse Turner. And we're grateful for this space that we have. And so I thank you for all of you who've been praying. Thank you for those who give to Ridgeview. That's enabled us to take on this new expense. Uh, We really look forward to seeing uh, how God will use this space to further uh, the purposes of our church. And so I just wanted to give you an update on that. Uh, As we dig in this morning, I want to just briefly highlight where we've spent uh, the last two weeks. We're on week three of this series. And we're talking about things that we can choose to do, again, our yeses that actually uh, slow the growth that God wants to build into our life. Again, the choices that we make are very important. Your life has purpose. You have a purpose. God's made you for a reason, and he's placed you on this earth to be a part of his purpose. And so the choices that you make, they're very important, the decisions you make. But sometimes we can live life without thinking, and so this series is about how we can sometimes just go with the flow of culture We can buy the promises of this world and actually get to a place that God does not intend us to be. And so we kicked off this series talking about the problems and the villains of this kind of progress that God wants us to have. And we kind of just landed on this problem of hurry, how busyness can really deteriorate the spiritual life. And last week, we built on that more, talking about hurry is one of the greatest enemies that we can have for the spiritual life that God wants us to build. And so today we're gonna talk about specific practices that we can implement that help us actually unhurry our life. Now, all of us are busy. How many of you would say like you've had a busy week, anybody? Uh, For me personally, what's really interesting is I'm speaking today on habits to help us slow down. This has been one of the busiest weeks I've had uh, this year. I yesterday decided, like, this is a crazy week. I felt like I've just been working and working. There's just been just really good opportunities. We had the office space. There was an opportunity that we had. We got the keys at a certain time. We needed to do the work, and we needed to get in. Our lease started yesterday, and we got to to using it right away. But that meant it was a busy week because there was opportunities in front of us. We had a whole day staff meeting yesterday. I had to plan for that. We had a leadership development training that we began yesterday. All of this happened at the same time. And so I calculated this past week, I've worked 73 and a half hours. And I thought to my, and that's not like a cheering thing, like that's not to get credit. But the the fact is, is that actually is not healthy long-term. You can't live life living or working like that. But there are certain seasons in which you you have to buy up the opportunities. And that's been like that for this, this past week. And God's been in it, and he's given me energy. And it's interesting, I just talked to somebody after church, like God put me on their heart this week, and they just said, you know, I need to pray for Pastor Alex. And they prayed, and it was like giving me the energy to to keep going. He didn't know what was going on, and I was able to share just in the sermon. He's like, that's why God put you on my heart. That's why I prayed for you this week. God does that. But what we're talking about is really these principles and patterns of things that we need to do to live the life that Jesus has given us. So if you're like me, you've probably lived a busy week maybe a busy season. And when I say busy, it's not just time. It could also just be concerns that you have. There's a season busy with concern after concern that's weighing on you. Burdens, they're heavy. So if I were to ask you a question based on where you're at, what's going on in your life, if you could find rest for you, what would you choose to do to give you rest? Okay, you didn't even have to think about it. Give me a vacation. So if you were to leave here and I said, as soon as you leave here until midnight tonight, you can do what you want. It's a short vacation, but it's better than nothing. But what other things would you do? Think about that. If you could rest from when you leave here and full disclosure, my sermon was power packed and long this morning. So you have less time than you think. Okay, (laughs) I just kept going. I'm just making a disclaimer early. Sorry. All right. So if you could just, when you leave here, you have this time to rest, what would you do? So vacation, think about it. What else? Yell it out. What else would you do? Massage, like the whole time? 
Okay, I had an affirmative. We got the motion, and it was seconded. Okay, massage the whole time. What else? Nap the whole time. That's called like a night of sleep, potentially. While you're, yeah, okay. We'll add snoring in that as well. What else? Swimming, okay. What else? Just, you just get to shop. And there's no limit to your credit card. In fact, you don't have to bring a credit card. You just go like this, and it's in your shopping cart. And it's at your house. Some of you are like, I, that's the one I want. That's, that's the one. So if you think of these things, and for this period, like, it's kind of, like, exciting. We're, we're imagining. And no, I'm not the type of church, I'm not the kind of pastor that's saying that that will happen. When you leave here, things actually might get worse for your life. There's still busyness and problems, but that's the thing with these promises for rest. Have you ever noticed that life still happens? Have you ever been on a vacation and maybe you heard some bad news? You ever been on vacation and you've gotten sick? Have you ever just been so ready to get your pool time and it's heating up in Southern California and then you remember that you have fair skin and you burn your skin? Your vacation's a lot more painful. Cars break down, appliances break, sometimes in the moments where we get our rest. And so what happens in this life is oftentimes we see rest as a period for which we choose to do something that will help. And these things that we've mentioned, they're actually not bad. But for each of those things, it ends. And then we live the next day and we're tired again. So as I'm talking about rest, I'm speaking specifically connected to the life and the rest that we have here and now by living Jesus' way. It's not like a self-help, best practice, here's the tips that you need to do, but really, how do we live like Jesus and with Jesus? That's actually the way of the Christian. And so that's what I wanna focus on uh, today. And so we're gonna dig into what we talked about last week, and it's this. Life from Jesus comes from the lifestyle of Jesus. We're going to dig into a little bit more of these details, but life from Jesus comes from the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, the invitation that Jesus gave us that we talked about last week is an invitation to come to him, to bear the burdens on him, to choose him over other options to find the rest that we're looking for. Let's read that scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So if you find yourself today, you're busy, you're burdened, you're overwhelmed, you're concerned, Jesus is saying is you are my target audience. You're who I'm talking to. For all of you that find yourself in this, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a promise. If you're a follower of Christ, you should burn this onto your brain. The invitation that Jesus gives every day of your life to come to him, to be with him, to learn from him, to be like him, and to live a different life. That's what Jesus is saying. The rest that Jesus offers is not an escape from our busyness. It's not even just an escape from the noise or the distraction. The rest that he gives is actually a promise of life. You find this promise in another gospel of John, and Jesus says this, it's the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have what? Life. And have it to the full. Now, anytime you read a scripture, you want to pay attention to the words and the phrases. And so you, you see a comparison. The first part is comparing one thing, and Jesus is comparing that thing to him. And so what is the first part? It's talking about a thief. In the context of this, in this passage, the thieves specifically are false teachers. And so if you connect this to Jesus' way, his life, and lifestyle, living like him and for him, 
What he's saying is there's people that exist in this earth, in our culture, in our world. They're making a lot of noise. They're wanting a lot of tension. And they're saying, follow this way and do these things and you'll have life. And what Jesus is saying is anyone outside of him is actually just a thief. He's calling them false teachers, false prophets, really people who are giving false promises. And what's the promise that they're offering? That you can find life outside of Christ. That's the great lie that's been sold to us since the beginning of creation. That's the great lie that the serpent gave to Eve when the first sin happened. You can know more than God. Why should you be limited? We want life on our own terms. And it's happened throughout the centuries. People promising life and fullness and wholeness outside of Christ. What Jesus is saying is those people, that they're, they're thieves. They're preaching lies, and we so easily buy into it. Now, he describes what they do, and it's three things. They steal, they kill, and destroy. So speaking of this idea of, of life and the fullness and rest in Christ, doing life his way, false prophets, people that preach another gospel outside of Christ, they steal because they're robbing people of the hope that they have in Christ. Think about that for a moment. If you think that there's another way outside of Jesus and you pursue that way and you feel that that will give you the meaning, that will give you the rest, that will give you the hope you long for, and you spend your life pursuing that, your hope has been stolen from you. That's what a thief does. And then he goes further, and this is Christ. He's not mincing any words. He says, and they, not only do they steal, but they kill. Now here, in, in the end, it could be, it's to take your life to stop you from existing. But I think if you think about it in terms of life and purpose and meaning, what do they kill? They kill your identity. And don't we live in a time when people are trying to figure out their identity? We live in a culture where it's like you can choose your identity. But as long as we're trying to define our own identity outside of Christ, we're robbed of meaning. Because God has made us, and it's only in him where we figure out who we're made to be and our purpose. Our identity is found in Christ. Then he says, not only do they steal you of that, they kill your identity, but they want to destroy And if you think about chasing after the things that the world promises you that are not true and pouring all your resources of trying to get full and all you have is a bucket with holes in it, you keep pulling it in, pouring in, and it keeps falling out and falling out. In the end, it's meaningless. What's the point? Why have I worked so hard to be further back than when I started? This is the state of our world. This is the state of our country. This is actually the state of our hearts. There is always a pull in us to pursue the things outside of Christ, thinking that it will fulfill and give us only what he can. So when Jesus is saying in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's saying, come to me and make that choice so you don't follow the wrong ideas, so you don't build your life on something that is false. That's what Jesus is describing in the context of this passage in this one verse. But then notice the comparison. What does he say? But I, I have come that they may have what? Life and have it to the full. Now, I love this because it's easy uh, as you read this to just gloss over, but he could have just said, so you may have what? Life, period. And you go to the next verse. But he actually qualifies the kind of life. What kind of life is it? It's full. Other translations say abundant. I was looking at that that meaning and the importance of why would Jesus say full? Like, why not just say have life? That's what we want, just life. Why would he say full? Well, here's the reason. There's a dichotomy in in our culture, in our world. You may have heard of this before. It's, It's quality over what? Quantity. Now, how many of you would say, I'm more of a quality over quantity. Anyone? Does that kind of like as you filter things? How many of you would say, I'm more quantity over 
quality. Well, it depends, pastor. What are we talking about? In my own world, in my own life, let's talk about food. Okay? So I am definitely a quantity. Why are you guys like, that's no surprise to you guys? Like, like you weren't, that was a little too emphatic, right? But quantity over quality, because I don't know if I have my Kleenexes back here, but I used this illustration in the first service. So quality, you go, have you ever noticed, the finer the dining, the more expensive, the less you get. So here's your plate, fine dining. They cleaned it, got it ready, and you're gonna spend $180 on the finest Wagyu beef that exists. And it's just a beautiful piece of meat, and they plate it, and it looks like that. And you think to yourself, like, that could be the greatest bite I've ever had, but I want more than a bite. I want quantity. So then we decide, well, that, that's, not, like, that's not enough. And so we tend to maybe gloss over or skip our high-quality restaurants, and we choose quantity. And one of my favorites are like those Chinese food, fast food, like you're not exactly sure what everything is kind of places. Now, the worst is when you go to a place like this and you, you have expectations. You know, I want the two-item. And they begin to grab the food. And as they grab the food, they pull it up and they're checking visually. And then they begin to shake it. And you think, well, don't, don't shake it. Put it in. Like, don't, don't, like, let's get it all in. Or they put it in and then like, ooh, that's a little too, and they take, you ever seen, like, this is a really problem in our culture right now. They put it in your box, it's a little too much, or they count it out, or the worst is they weigh it. Don't weigh it. We want quantity. And then you discover the kind of place, and I know a few of them, and if you know them, we can talk after, but you discover the kind of place where they have the container, and they're not weighing, they're not counting, they're loading, and they get the container, and they're kind of like, Shoving it, and you're just like, just like, yes, put it in the bag, shove it. You don't even care if it's closed, you'll just cinch the bag up to close it. This is more about me than you know. Like, this is this is counseling, right? I'm just getting it out. But but think about that, like the difference, like quality, something that could be the greatest thing you could ever taste, or, or quantity. You just get a lot of something that's not that great. What Jesus is saying when he says, you don't only have life, but you have it full life, abundant life, he's saying in him and in him alone, you get the quality and the quantity. You don't have to choose. Think about that for a moment. You don't have to choose. You get the best quality of life here and now and into forever and you get the fullness of God where there's no lacking of resources and power and help. And it's available to the Christ follower as we choose to follow him. You get the quality and the quantity in Jesus. I just want to tell you what Jesus is saying here is so important. This is the gospel. This is what we have to stand on and we have to build our lives on. There is no other way. Why do I know that? Well, that's what Jesus said. Here's another verse in uh, John. I need my notes. But this was about to get even. You, you guys were going to get out three, okay? Uh, the other verse in, in John, uh, I don't even know where I am. Hold on, my pages. Bear with me, guys. Okay, John 14. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. If you haven't heard this verse before, uh, that can feel somewhat restrictive. I want to let you know, Christianity is very exclusive and restrictive, meaning not all ways lead to, to God. Not all religions, not all pursuits, not all choices. You can't have that with Christianity. It's not general, it's specific. It's not broad, it's narrow. 
That's the way of Jesus. Now, if you grew up in public school here in this country, you grew up listening to media and news, and this feels like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Everyone could just choose what they want to do. That's true. You have freedom. But if you want to get to the Father, the one who created you, you have to go through Jesus. If you want the life that is offered here, you have to go through Jesus. Now, notice the three descriptions. I'm the way. I'm the life, and and I'm the truth. All three of those. Now, the truth is what we base our our Sundays on. Like, we want to build and talk about the truth found in Scripture. And Jesus is the representation of of that truth. He is the Word. He's existed from the beginning. He is the truth. And then the life is what we're talking about in this series. Like, this wholeness and completeness. That's what the word literally means. But in our world, and especially even in Christian circles, we can focus so much on, like, the past life that, you know, Christ can help us with. Like, we can be forgiven, and and that's true. And we don't have to face our shame, and we can overcome that, and that's so appealing. And that's probably part of your story. That's probably why you're here. Christ has removed the guilt and given you hope from your past, your past life. Amen? We should all say amen. And then there's, like, the future life. Like, when we die... We have this hope that we're going to be with Jesus forever. And we have to set our hopes on that in eternity, either when we die or when Jesus returns. And so the life that we experience in the past, the removal of our guilt, the forgiveness of our sins, that's true. And then the life that we're going to experience in the future, as we get to heaven, it's real and it's true. And in that, we'll experience life completely will be made whole. But Jesus is also speaking not just about truth and life. What's the other word? He's the way. He's talking about a path. He's describing that there is one way to wholeness. There's one way to the truth. There's one way to life, to completeness. It's through him. And that's speaking of this path of how you can be saved and forgiven and given grace. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. And that's why he rose again. That's the gospel. It's the antithesis to what he's speaking about, the thieves, the false prophets. They say that it's not just Jesus' way. There's other ways. Church, we have to stand against the lies. There's one way. And then it's this way that I want to talk about. It's this actual specific lifestyle that's not just past-focused or future-based, but it's here in the present. We live in the way that Jesus wants us to live, a certain lifestyle, a certain goal. And this is really the goal of our church. How do we live in such a way that we're living like Jesus? We've been forgiven From our past, we await eternity in the future, but we will live for him here and now until that happens. That's why we exist. And we want to live that way with this full life, this energy for life, this wholeness where we're not running after anything else except Jesus. That's our mission. Now, if you will, imagine if you were to live that kind of way, the kind of impact that that would have. Like if you wake up and you connect with Jesus and he fills you up and he gives you this wholeness and a purpose and a meaning, everything that the false thieves will steal from you. What if Jesus gives you that every day and you have this purpose and this meaning and this direction? Would that impact the relationships that you have? Would that impact people? Would that impact the way you handle your burdens and your stress? Would it impact the way you make decisions? Would it impact the words that you use and the words that you don't? Would it impact what you say yes to and what you say no to? That's what Jesus is describing. This comes through him. Every day of our life, we're an apprentice and disciple of Jesus. And we have to come to him. We have to lay our burdens and our ideas on him. And it's only then we will find rest for our souls soul, the complete 
person, our bodies and our minds. That's what Jesus promises. This is the way that he wants us to live. Now, do we live like that? Well, that's a question we all have to answer. Depends on the day. Depends what I've got going on. Depends how much I'm getting help from him, how much I'm relying on myself, all sorts of answers. We'll have just a whole degree of it. But for most of us, we're inclined to, we, we love being saved from our past. We look forward to the future. But in the present, we tend to want to do our own things. Anyone guilty of that? You have your plans, you have your ideas, and you rarely run them by Jesus. And maybe you don't read your scripture much to get the truth that he wants to tell you about what you're facing. That's normal. That's the human condition. There's just this inclination we have. To grow spiritually is something where we actually need disciplines and we need habits to help us live in this way that Jesus describes here. He is the way. How do we choose things that will help us live that way? So the way I kind of, I guess, think about my own spiritual nature, maybe you can relate to this. I can tend on my own, on my own strength, to live like an unregulated life where I just kind of respond and do what makes sense to me in every moment. In fact, all of you and me, everyone on this earth, always do what makes sense to you. All your decisions are on purpose just a matter of why did it make sense? Well, there's a lot of things that I do that make sense to me that maybe shouldn't make sense to me. But I'm seeing things my own way, on my own terms. So the way I picture this is, how many of you drive on the freeway, like every day? Okay, what's the speed limit in these parts? Like 210, what's the speed limit? 65, is it? Oh, really? I thought they changed, oh, whoops. Did I make a confession? I just confessed, 65, I thought it was 70. And then 70 means 78, right? So you guys all drive on the freeway. Everyone's getting nervous now. We're gonna actually divide you by speed limit. In the, no, uh, you know, how many of you kind of live by the principle of like the flow of traffic? Okay, what would you say like the flow of traffic is usually? 90, 80, 85, 75, is it usually the speed limit? No, it's not usually, is it under the speed limit? No. Yeah, it depends which lane. If you're in the slow lane, you, you don't like those people a lot. But So the speed limit is, is 65, and maybe people are going at least 20 over, like as a norm, it's just like the flow, right? Have you ever had this experience, and I'm sure you have, where you're going on the freeway, and all of a sudden, things begin to regulate, and you see like this brake light over here, and you see like a brake light over here, and then each lane, there's this just scattering of brake lights. What's happening? Most of the time, there's a CHP on the side of the road, and I always think to myself, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why? Because I'm guilty. But everyone does it, right? It's like, so, so then, so then, we are the best drivers when the CHP is there. Have you ever noticed that? No one goes the speed limit until the CHP officer's there. And then we all slow down. It's like this beautiful picture, like we think we're faking everyone out, like those CHP officers, right? And you just slow, and everyone just slows, and it's just like, we all look. But then, but then, it gets real. Because you pass the CHP officer hoping he didn't see your brake lights, but then you also hold your breath and you look in your rear view, right? Because you're wondering, like, out of all of us guilty, has he chosen me? You guys know what I'm saying? Yeah, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? But so, so what, what happens is, is then we all, like, get regulated, it slows, and then it's like everyone's going the speed limit, and they're on their best behavior. Then you kind of look, and you're like, oh, okay, he's staying there. And then what do you do? You just keep going, right? That's, that's oftentimes Jesus is telling us to live the speed limit. And our hearts are saying, no. Let's pray. That's, that's all I get. No. But that's like our hearts. Like, we don't want to. So spiritual disciplines and habits 
are like the CHP that helps regulate the things that we need to do often when we don't want to do it. And so I want to talk a little bit about some spiritual disciplines. This week, I'm focusing solely on two specific to how you can get rest in the middle of a restless world, in your restless world. The two things are keeping a Sabbath and slowing down. Now, I'm talking about, you know, driving. I'm not just talking about driving. I'm talking about just the pace of your life. And so spiritual disciplines are helpful. Dallas Willard is a really helpful thinker. He, he's passed away. He was a, a philosophy professor at USC for many years. Uh, he's written a helpful book. If you're a reader or you want to grow in learning the way of Jesus and how disciplines help you, uh, he wrote a book called The Spirit of Discipline or The Spirit of the Disciplines. It's very helpful. Um, and so I encourage you, read that book. But he had this quote. It says, the disciplines are activities of mind and body uh, purposely undertaken, that should be undertaken, to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. So spiritual disciplines we choose to do, which helps us align spiritually with the divine God. They're spiritual in nature to help us cooperate with him. Then he goes on and says, they enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us deriving from the spiritual realm itself. So think about that. There's actually habits that we need to do that don't come naturally. But you don't want to just live naturally. If you live naturally, that's part of what the thieves promise. Just do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. That's the mantra of our day. You do you. You fill you up. You look out for you. You focus on you, your mental health. You, you, you. It's actually lies. You focus on making yourself happy, you'll be miserable. You'll have no life. You'll have no truth. And you'll be lost. You'll have no way. So the disciplines are there to remind us. So here's just some habits to help us find rest in a restless world. Uh, I want to just talk briefly about uh, the Sabbath. How many of you heard of that word, the Sabbath, keep a Sabbath? If you grew up in Sunday school, you're like, yeah, I think I heard that. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Keep a Sabbath, make it holy. It's a command from God. Sabbath literally means to stop. It's to stop. Oh, do we need to hear that? Because if you're running on empty, it's because you're not stopping. And you have to stop. Literally, it means to dwell and to settle. Here's what God says in Exodus 20. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, these are the commands that God gave to the Israelites. This represents the old covenant as they awaited for the Messiah. We stand on this side of the old covenant knowing the Messiah has come. Jesus himself said that I am Lord of the Sabbath. What he's doing is he's saying, I am divine. I've existed from the beginning. I am God. And so the promise of life that he gives in Matthew 11 is supported by the fact that he's the very Lord of this rest that we all long for, this meaning, this life, this vitality, it's in him. That's why in John 14, he can say, I am that way. I am that truth, and I am that life. So it was given to God's people, but for us, for followers of Christ, we know that we need to continue to stop and to connect with the living God through Jesus. This is a pattern and a rhythm that we have to have in our life continually, choices that we have to make that are not easy, but which are crucial. And so I just wanna highlight the four aspects of a Sabbath. I'm gonna go quickly, but I encourage you to consider what would stopping do in your life to stop from your work, to stop from the running, from being connected and always on and always connected. What would stopping do? And so there's four things. You need to stop, you need to rest, 
you need to delight, and you need to worship. Now, in Exodus, God gives that command, but God himself in Genesis, he created the Sabbath, and he rested. And what you find in the biblical account is God doesn't get tired. He's never groggy. Like, he doesn't need coffee to get him going. He doesn't need a monster, a Red Bull. He doesn't need those wings. He's God. He never slows down. He never stops working. So why would he have to stop? Like, what's the point? He's not getting tired. The point is, he's illustrating in Genesis, he created Adam and Eve, and from all this stuff that he made, and he stopped, and it's like, I'm gonna dwell. I'm gonna dwell with these people. And he's modeling that importance of stopping and being present. God is always present, but he modeled this for us. We have to stop. We have to rest. We have to delight and worship. So the idea of the Sabbath is just to to stop working. This past week, I you know I shared I, I worked a lot, but I have to stop working. So as a family, I was just talking to my wife this morning. I was like, you know, we, we need to have a, a time for us to to reconnect, to stop, and to be together, and to connect as a family, and to connect with God. Like we need that in our life. And so the Sabbath is this practice. Uh, for some, this could be on the Lord's Day, like a Sunday, where the Sunday is this day where you come and you worship God together. Now, for us, we have a high number of volunteers who actually work on a Sunday to help Ridgeview go. Amen? And so Sunday, for a lot of us, is a work day. It's not necessarily a rest day. And we're so grateful for our volunteers. Thank you for all that you do. But you need to find a time where you actually aren't doing something to stop the work. We have to stop. We're not computers. We're people. We're living beings that we run out of capacity. Our hard drives of our brain, they, they get overloaded. So we, we have to stop. And so you, stopping work is, is really a matter of, of faith. I trust God that he's gonna work when I'm not working. It's also a matter of control. Sometimes we just want to keep doing it and just have our hands in everything to control all the things. But when we stop, it's like, you know, I, I need to unleash my control and I need to give God control. It's a matter of faith. So the resting, uh, the resting in a Sabbath is not just a me day where you do whatever you want, but it's, it's a rest day to connect with God first. And then it's a, a rest day to also connect with those that God's placed in your life. If you have family, you have friends, part of this church families, you have to have regular times where you can connect with people and actually just be with them. Connected, talking, answering as we're made to. Sabbath carves out time uh, for that to be able to happen. So we have to stop. We have to, to rest. And then my next page here. What's the next one? Delight. Thank you. Oh yeah, there it is. Uh, delight. So the idea of the Sabbath is there's times in life in a regular period of time where you need to choose the things that actually help recharge you and refresh you. Now, again, this isn't for the purpose of just uh, pleasing yourself. It's the idea of like, God, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I want to actually live a life that has vitality to it. I want to live a life that as people look at my choices and who I am, they're actually attracted to you because of how I live. If you don't ever stop and actually do things that bring delight or you don't even know what brings you delight, you need to ask that. For me, like, I get delight. One, when I get time with the Lord. I have to get time with him. It it recharges me. It helps my perspective. I also experience delight when I get time with my kids. Undivided attention. Like, that, that fills me up. I get delight when I get time with my wife. So there's things that you have to choose. You have to choose the delight. I, I enjoy walking outside and just thinking and, and praying and being out in nature. And now it's hot and I'm like, oh man, I gotta get up earlier. But the idea is like that does bring delight. There's just something about that. And so it's not just about entertainment. And I encourage you, if you really wanna practice a Sabbath, disconnect from technology. Turn it off. Silence it. Because 
If your devices are still on, you are still on. If your devices are still on, you're still on. And then the fourth is, is worship. I need to stop my work. I need to have some rest. I need to delight and make these choices that actually bring this just vitality to me. And, and that comes actually from worship. And that those are all together. I need to read the scriptures. Psalms is a great book. Read through the Psalms. Choose a period of time where you can do that. If you're married, do that with your spouse. If you have kids, do that as a family. Choose a friend to get together with. Just share with each other. What's God teaching you? And that's the agenda. Like, what's God teaching you? What's going on? Let's share that together. That could be a part of your Sabbath. That brings vitality. So what's restful for me? What brings me an easy delight? And then what's a worshipful way that I can connect with God? That's the purpose of the Sabbath. So where do I start if you've never had a Sabbath? I'm going to go through this really quick. But you, you have to prepare. You have to prepare to, to carve out something that you've never done before. So you need to pick a time and you need to create a plan. So the idea of a Sabbath isn't how do you do all your chores on that day because you've carved it out. No, you have to do the chores before the Sabbath or after the Sabbath so you can have a Sabbath. Like it's not the greatest time for you to do your grocery shopping or you know, search for Amazon for all that you need to buy. But it's a time where you, you have space you're being present, and the goal is to be present. That's the point. And so the traditional Sabbath was from sundown Friday night to the same time Saturday, a 24-hour period. How does that land on you, a 24-hour period where you focus on stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping? Kind of counterintuitive. When was the last time you kind of saw marketing on that? Message doesn't travel far in our culture. But you have to pick a time. And I want to encourage you, it doesn't have to be 24 hours. It's kind of like giving. The scriptures say you need to give generously to the Lord Jesus to help advance his kingdom. And the measure of giving is a, is a tithe, 10%. But if you've never given before, you're like, oh, I can't, I guess I'll never do that. It could be the same with the Sabbath. Like, I can't give. 24 hours, we'll give four. I can't give 10%, we'll give one and ask God to grow your faith. It's the same principle. It's these disciplines. We take God's commands and, and we, we put them into practice. And so I want to encourage you, pick a time over this next month where you can choose to have one Sabbath. And if four hours is all you can give, give four hours. And begin to think through, well, what, what could I do in those four hours where I could stop? where I could rest, where I can delight, and where I can worship. It doesn't mean you have to sing songs like by yourself, like, oh, this is going to be super awkward. But, you know, it could just be I need, to, I need to read, and you can read Psalm 33, you could read Psalm 34, and I'm just going to read this, and I'm just going to soak that in and, and really hang on the promises of God. And you know what? I'm going to put my Bible away, then I'm going to go outside, and I'm just going to walk and I'm just going to look out at God's creation and marvel and thank him. And then you're going to look down and be like, it's 15 minutes. What else do I do? And that's the point. Create some margin in your life to be the human that God's created you to be. You're not a robot. You're a person. And God wants to connect with you. And there's people in your life that want to connect with you as well. So Sabbath is this intentional time not me time, not isolation time, not for my own help, but, but how do I actually be the person that's full of the way and the life of Christ? Does that make sense? So I encourage you to do that. You need to you know, prepare, and then you need to practice. Um, I've given you just a few things. You, you just read a psalm, Psalm 33, Psalm 34, pick a time, read it, go on a walk, Figure out what else you can do that can help you with rest. If you need to take a nap, take a nap. Your pastor gives you permission, take a nap. But take a time like to think, to struggle, to wrestle with like why you don't want to do it. That's good. Like wrestle with it. Well, why not? What would that stopping, the resting, delighting, and worship? What, what could that do? So pray together with the people in your life during this time. Read scripture, share. What's been a highlight of your week? How can I pray for you? A year ago, we, we began to practice this as a family. And it was definitely practice, not perfection. 
And just like driving, we got out of the habit, and that's something we have to build in again. Life gets busy. But what we would do is because um, I work, you know, Saturdays a lot to prepare for Sundays, and Sunday's my, you know, big day as well. Uh, Fridays is usually my day off. And so on a Thursday night, we would kind of prepare for, for Sabbath, and we would have a meal together. And it was like carving out time where we connect and we talk, and we'd have a meal. And then we'd wake up on Friday morning, and we'd have another meal. It's the idea of like we're connecting together and we're, we're being. It's this recalibration that God's put. Like you can recalibrate. Now, not to be legalistic, but to connect. Connect with the living God. Connect with those that he's placed in your circles. So practice the Sabbath. And then another habit that helps recalibrate us, and I'm going to close with this, is to slow down. Now, if you missed last week, I encourage you, you can listen to that. We have a podcast of each sermon. Just search for Ridgeview Church Fontana. We're also on YouTube. You can watch it. But I talked a lot last week about overcoming busyness and the story of Mary and Martha. Mary chose to be with Jesus and relate to him. Martha chose to run and fill herself with chores. It's very easy to do that. But the idea of slowing down is something that we have to move and lean into because there's such a current about speed. We want everything faster. We just got internet in the new office. What was I concerned with? How fast is it? I didn't go to the internet like, hey, can you slow that down a little bit? Throttle that back. Same thing, you know, when we're driving. So fast is, is like the pace we like. But have you noticed, if relating is the goal over running, this invitation to relate to the living God. Can we really do that when we're always running at a fast pace? It's very difficult. For me, when I'm running at a fast pace, I'm usually more impatient. And when I'm more impatient, I'm less inclined to connect. The idea is like as a parent practically with a relationship with your kid is when you're busy doing something and your child asks you to do something with them, what did you usually say? No, not now, later, what does a child say? When? Just later. Drop it, you know. No, not now. We, we don't have time because we're running. And the same with like connecting with God, reading the scriptures. If you're running to work, you're not going to be thinking, how can I slow down and connect with Christ? Because I'm running and I'm running and I'm running. The Christian life's actually very difficult to live if you're always running it's hard to relate when you're impatient and when you're, when you're chasing. Or here's another quote from somebody who's written a lot on this, John Ortberg. He was actually mentored by Dallas Willard, the quote I read earlier. He says, he's talking about patience. He says, cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Any of you read that and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That guy's clueless. But it's a discipline. It's actually deciding that I'm not basing what's best on speed. It's very anti-American. But I'm basing what's best on goals, of connecting, of being, being present. And so I actually really don't even like this stuff. Like, I'm not naturally like a slow down guy. Full confession. Like, I read this, I'm like, ah, I don't like it. But because I don't like it, it's probably like I really need to do it. Because it, it goes against, it's like, again, I'm speeding over the speed limit, and somebody's like, oh, you got to slow down. Well, I don't want to slow down. So, here, here's some ways if you want to grow patience, if you want to grow slowness in your life to connect. Here's some. I'm going to go through this really quick. Walk slowly. How many of you are like, no, that, that's not the point of these legs. We walk fast. We got places to go. Pick a longer line when you check out. I dare you to do that. Go to Costco and just be like, go to Costco today, 4th of July weekend, and just look. No, but think, think about this in terms of like 
the faster I am, I was at uh, Ralph's two days ago, and I, I, gra- I grabbed a big cart, and I looked at the cart, and I'm like, these carts are too big. And then I wanted to get in and out, and then the people were working, and they were setting stuff on the shelves. And I just went in there like, this thing's too big. There's people setting up, and they're plugging, like, corridors, and I had nowhere, and I just felt stuck, and I'm just speeding up. And the more I'm speeding up, the more impatient I'm getting. So I actually, I understand this. Because if your goal is to get in and out and be as efficient and run through people as much as possible, then they're going to get in your way. But then you're not focused on the connecting. So the idea is like, could God do something if you slowed down? Could you have a conversation with somebody? What if you're in the longer line and you're actually decompressing just that little bit, reminded that God's going to help you because you're standing still? Some of you, like, you're not even listening anymore because that's on there. Okay, I, full, I understand. Uh, the next one you're going to ignore just like I want to as well. Drive the speed limit. Like, isn't that hilarious? That almost seems like a joke. But that's actually like the law. <laughs> what? That doesn't even make sense. But that's like the law. Okay, you guys get what I'm saying. Driving the slow lane? Forget that. All right, turn off your phone by eight. You could. Next one. Turn off notifications on your phone. Now, I just want to push back a little bit against the phone stuff because here's the thing. If you're a parent, you're thinking, well, my kid's not going to be able to get a hold of me. Well, people aren't going to be able to get a hold of me. And you can kind of like raise anxiety. They could. That's all I got. All right. Show up early for an appointment. Be on time or show up early. Then don't check your phone. Be there. What on earth? What do you mean just be there? Actually live your life and be present. Uh, Set a time and a time limit for social media. Don't let it manage you. You manage it. If you don't set a time limit, it's managing you. Even better yet, delete the apps of social media on your phone and then have to download them every time you want to do it. Then you have to decide, oh, man, I have to start over? Yeah, if you want to spend that time. So think of what brings you rest and then how much time on social media will bring you that rest that you want. And then does that time that you think it will bring you rest match the time that you spend? You have to take a step back and say, you know what? I'm the problem with my problems. It's the choices that I make. We're saying yes to the wrong things. And we're saying no to the right ones. Does this make sense? I hope I'm frustrating you. We have to rethink. We can't just go like cogs in a machine and just do what we've always done if you want to really grow. If you want to live like Jesus and be his way, you got to live differently. You have to actually go a different pace. Do I have any others just to depress us? Um, Take an hour or two retreat once a month. Just like take a retreat where you just withdraw. This is a little bit of like silence and solitude. Like withdraw a little bit. Tell people that you love, like I'm going to be on a retreat. Don't freak out if I don't text you back within 15 seconds. I'm going to turn off my phone and then I'll I'll turn it on when when I leave. But just take... Take a retreat, take your Bible, take some worship songs, go on a walk, and just pull away. Slow down. Let God get your attention. You ever think about that? Think about that in just a spiritual sense. Are we filling our lives and our schedules with things that prevent God from getting our attention? Well, God's powerful. He can always get my attention. That's true. But sometimes the busier we are, the more he's got to get our attention. And there might be sometimes we don't want him to get our attention the way that he might have to. This is a way of saying, you know what, God, I need to connect. I need to calibrate with you. So next steps as I close out. Practice a Sabbath and practice slowing down. How many of you, like, this is just kind of like, wow, this is new to you? Anyone? Anyone new? Like, you've heard this before? Anyone do this? 
regularly? Some? How many of this is like, this is pretty new, it's hard to do this? Okay. And then the 80% of you that didn't raise your hand. Thank you. You're sorting. And I'm not being like facetious about that. Like, it's like, I don't know. It's like, what do I do with all this? It's a lot. But I, I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to wrestle. Um, I'm done. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. I just thank you for your provision again of our office space and may we use it for your glory. Thank you for your word, which instructs us in a different way of living. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who not only forgives us of our sin and is preparing us in eternity with you, but that gives us life that we can live fully here and now. We can have the quality and we can have the quantity. God, we pray that we'll not settle for anything unless or anything other than you, Jesus. We don't want to settle for anything that the world has to offer. We don't want to settle for any false gospel. And so we stand as Christians, as followers of you, saying that, that we want to live your way to really find life. And I just pray for anyone who's not yet a Christian. God, will you just raise the emptiness that they feel so that they may humbly turn to you and say to you, I need you, and you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. Will you do that right now? Anyone that's here that's just experiencing that, that will you just give them to that place where they're, they're desperate for you? In the name of your son, I pray, amen.